Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. Pray God's blessing on you, and thank you for leading worship today and the songs and the scriptures that we've lifted our hearts. I hope you come each week prepared to worship and to sing and to celebrate, to take the words home with you. You know, sometimes you take the bulletin home with you. And I reflect on the songs that we sing together, the scriptures we read, and I give the Lord thanks. I uh, appreciate Gary's joke about uh, saving daylight savings time. Yeah, he gets to use that once a year, he said, so I'm looking forward to the fall. What's your joke going to be in the fall, Gary? We lost it. Okay. All right. So, sorry. <laughs> Gary's two jokes for the year. Okay. He's a real funny guy. We just laugh all the time here in the office with Gary. Time. Um, let's see, I know at least one person told me they set their clock two hours ahead this morning and got here nice and early. Uh, a couple other people coming in the door today said, we forgot to set our clock. I said, well, how'd you get here on time? They came for Sunday school and they forgot to set their clock. Um, time is such an important part of our lives. You thought and think about how much of our conversation and how much of our life revolves around time. When I was a boy... Uh, I have a confession to make. When I was a young boy, about the age of these kids that went out, maybe the older end of it, elementary school, uh, I'll confess to you, I really liked Elvis Presley. And I used to buy all of his records if I could. I went to see all of his movies at the Grand Theater in Greenwood, uh, which is now the Taproot Theater. How many of you have been to Taproot Theater? Uh, it used to be the Grand Theater. We'd go up there and watch uh, Elvis Presley movies. And I remember when certain records would come out and I'd hear them on the radio. I remember when the song Return to Sender came out. Return to Sender. Do, 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 do. Okay. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. And I remember going up to the record store in Greenwood on about 80, between 85th and 87th on Greenwood Avenue. And I going in this record shop and this guy that worked in there, he, he kind of reminded me of Fred Mertz, you know, from I Love Lucy, you know. <laughs> It wasn't very friendly. And, you know, records were stacked and bins you could look through and stereo stuff you could buy. Old style, you know. And I remember going up there because I'd heard Return to Sender and I wanted to get a copy of 95 cents for the 45 little record. And didn't have it in. He said, that's not going to be in for, I have to order that for you. I said, okay, can you order it for me? And so he ordered it for me. And I waited for that record. I'd hear it on the radio. And uh, this is all confession now, okay? And um, I'd go up there and I'd check with Fred and say, is my record in? No, your record's not in yet, you know. And finally, about two weeks later, I'd get a call. The record would be in. I would go up there and I would buy it, anxiously go home, wait my turn to use the stereo that sat in the living room because my mom wasn't the big Elvis Presley fan. And... Uh, wait till I had a chance, and put on and listen to my copy. Times have changed, right? If I wanted to get a copy of that record today, um, I would have any number of devices, and I'm not that advanced and technical, but I have all sorts of devices that I could go, and I could go to Marketplace, to Music, and I could click the Marketplace, and I could put search, and I could start typing Elvis, and this thing would know I mean Elvis Presley, and I would click that, and I would go to that, 
and I would go down to return to sender. There it is. I would click that. And since this says free for me, I would put download. And there it is. Oh, there's devil in disguise. That was a, I didn't like that one. <laughs> 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 no, I got returned to sender in collection, and I could play it and uh, yeah, play it for you guys, and we could listen to Return to Sender. Just like that. I got it. It's on there. I'm not going to listen to it. I, I got the record at home. I don't need to. <laughs> but you know how different our lives are today? How instant is everything? We don't have to wait for anything hardly anymore. Uh, there's something I see. I see, you know, Gary wearing that tie. I think, I like that tie. I'm going to get a tie like that. And I, no, I don't like that. I go home, and I'll check a certain website. I don't want advertising here. And I could look, and I could probably find that tie, and I could order it. And it'll probably be here. I could get express shipping and probably get it in two days. If I want uh, any kind of news, if I want to get the latest sports, boom, I got it. I can go in and type. It's there. Anything I want. It's, everything is so instant today, and our world and our society and our culture is being so shaped by the instant everything that patience, waiting, um, you know, it, it's, it's changed. It was kind of fun waiting for that record. It was hard, but, you know, there was something about the anticipation, going up, picking it up, waiting for it, or maybe reconsidering it and thinking, ah, I really don't want to spend a dollar on that and cancel my order. You know, things have changed. This morning, I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 24 and 5. And I say 24 and 5 because we need to bridge just a moment. It's one of those passages in Scripture when you pick a topic to preach on or a book like the book of Acts, there are certain parts of it that you think, boy, when we get there, how are we going to, what are we going to get out of this passage here? What we can get to apply to our lives? And as I reflected on this and thought about it and kind of wrestled with that, uh, God did lay something on my heart today that I would like us to uh, glean, if you will, from this passage of Scripture. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to open your word now. And uh, Lord, we pray that uh, we would be thankful that we have the freedom uh, to gather in a world uh, where many of our brothers and sisters do not have that freedom. And we can open anytime we want together. We can teach it to our children, our young people. We can sing about it as we have this morning. The songs we've sung, Lord, have, have come from your word, the thoughts from your word. And so we uh, pray today, Lord, that uh, we would uh, just uh, listen to your word and may it touch our lives and draw us close to you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, last week as we looked at Acts chapter 24 and the Apostle Paul being taken to Caesarea by the Roman army, if you remember, over 200 soldiers took him to Caesarea to protect him, to uh, bring him uh, before the Roman governor. And uh, Felix, who was the Roman governor, who had him there and, and uh, talked to him and so on. And then he and his wife, Drusilla, we looked at actually last Sunday night a little bit, that uh, Drusilla was a member of the Herod family. And she actually is uh, sister to Agrippa II that's going to come on the scene here in chapter 25. And uh, she was well acquainted with Judaism. And at the end, we looked at uh, verse 25, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. 
And he was hoping Paul would bring a bribe. And then verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. It's almost sort of a, a side note almost that if you're reading through this, you could easily miss. As I mentioned last week, we speak often of the two-year imprisonment in Rome where we, where we um, receive the prison epistles from, where Paul writes those epistles under house arrest in Rome, we believe. But there's two years in Caesarea. We, really aren't, we don't really have any letters he wrote from this time period that we know of. We don't really have a lot of... We don't have anything, really, except this little kind of a side note that just says Paul spent two years in prison in Caesarea. He's, and, and he is in prison. He can have people come and go, but he, he is a prisoner in Rome, or in Caesarea, on the coast of Israel. And then we begin verse 20, chapter 25, verse 1, and let's just read the first section here. Three days after arriving in a province, Festus, who is now the new governor, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. For they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there. If he has done anything wrong, after spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews, or against the temple, or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus, since they were spending many days there. Festus discussed Paul's case with them, and he said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. I want to just stop there now for, for, for this, this part of our discussion. There's a man there that Felix left as a prisoner. Two years, Paul was left as a prisoner. There was no action. There was no trial. Felix came and went and talked to him about spiritual matters, but he, he didn't respond as far as we could tell. And for two years, he was just there to convenience the Roman governor to just kind of come and go as he felt and visit with. Two years. And Festus comes as the new governor and says, and, and, and he says, says to Agrippa, King Agrippa, who also is uh, Drusilla's brother, and says to him, you know, uh, Felix left this guy here for me. 
And now I have to deal with it. And you notice that when Festus gets there, one of the first things he does is he tries to resolve this case with the Apostle Paul. It's that important. I mean, of all the things going on in Palestine, this one is really, somebody is really agitating about this. And as soon as the new governor gets there, the agitation comes from Jerusalem. Remember, there were 40 people who had, who had taken the pact to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Now, two years have gone by, and I'm sure they've eaten and, and they have drunk, but this is still there, that they're going to kill Paul. And so they appeal right away to Festus and say, would you bring him to Jerusalem so he can stand trial? And of course, I think it, they read between the lines here a little bit. I think Festus sees between, between the lines here as well. He sees behind the scenes here a little bit and realizes they want him to come to Jerusalem because they're going to flat out ambush him and kill him. These, these men are so, are, are so insist, insistent on getting rid of Paul that they're willing to risk their relationship with the Roman government that they would just ambush him. He would be escorted by Roman soldiers, but they would ambush him and kill him. And so Festus is in a spot here because he has a Roman citizen on his hands. And we know actually quite a bit about Roman law at this time. It, the Roman law sort of changed throughout different parts, even in the New Testament times. But at this particular time, we know quite a bit about it. And Paul had certain rights. And Festus is in a spot here because he wants to, he, he does, the last thing he wants is trouble in Palestine. Like every other Roman, whether it's Pilate, or the Herod family, Felix, or Festus, the last thing they want is trouble in Palestine because it will cost them their job and maybe their life. And several of them are recalled because of trouble that they can't handle and they can't deal with. And so in order to help solve this situation, his easiest out is he could, he could let Paul go. You know, he has the authority to release him. He can do that. But he doesn't. And instead he asked Paul, would, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there before the Sanhedrin? Not before the Romans, but before the Sanhedrins. And you notice that the charges against Paul clearly are, number one, sedition against the Roman government. He's trying to overthrow the Roman government, which is punishable by death as far as the Romans are concerned. The Jews have said, he has caused blasphemy by bringing a Gentile into our temple. And according to Roman law, they did have the right to stone someone, to kill somebody under their own law for blaspheming the temple. They did have that right. Incidentally, Agrippa, who shows up here in chapter 25, was kind of interesting. Agrippa does not rule in Judea. He actually has a little kingdom up north he was given. But he was given the authority to oversee the temple. So he actually has authority over the high priest and the temple, even though that's not his particular area at this time he's in charge of. It's kind of a little soap opera here. And so he comes down, and that's why Festus involves him in this discussion. So when Paul is asked, would you go back and stand trial in Jerusalem? Of course, his trial would be for blasphemy, which they would find him guilty of if they haven't killed him already. And Paul knows this. So Paul invokes his rights as a citizen. Last week we talked about this, that that God has given us heads. God's given us um, the ability to think and make decisions. And we are in a society where we have the privilege of invoking our rights as citizens. And we talked last Sunday night a little bit more about this. And I mentioned how um, 
Uh, last week, some of you heard the, the presentation by Child Evangelism that our ladies here gave, our two ladies that run this program for our, in our area, and, and, the, and the, how, they, how they approach this and how they, 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 they approach it from the, uh, the rights that we have as citizens and that they have to present the Bible voluntarily to those who choose to come after school. And if other groups have the right to present their programs and their clubs, we have the right as well. And they've taken a stand and they've done it in a kind and a gracious and a, and a positive way and it, at times invoke the legal authority that we have as, as citizens, as the rights that we have and our students have. And as Christians, we have that opportunity and that responsibility to practice and to use our rights and to do it in a way that also fits with our understanding of the gospel and how we approach people, but to exercise our rights as citizens. And of course, that's why we at our church encourage you to vote, to get involved, to do that. It's a good thing. That is not becoming part of the world. God has placed you in this culture. You could be anywhere else, but God has placed you and me here for whatever reason he has chosen, and we have the opportunity to influence and be a positive influence in our culture. And Paul exercised his rights as a Roman citizen. He was not afraid to do that. And he had the right. I mean, think of this, think of this legal system in the Roman Empire that is so developed and really is, has influenced in a lot of ways, Western civilization that, that has advanced uh, legal systems, very heavily influenced by, by Romans and, and how they approach this in a lot of ways. And anybody who was a citizen of the Roman Empire at this time had the right to appeal to Caesar's court for final jurisdiction in Rome, just as ultimately we have the Supreme Court, if your case or case you're representing goes that far, we have that right. It has to go through a certain system to get there, but that's the final authority. That's the final resting place. And he is a citizen. Here, this, this man way over in Palestine, in the coast of Palestine in Caesarea, has the right as a Roman citizen to appeal his case to Rome. And so he chooses to do that. Why did he choose to do that? Number one, God had already told him. We saw this earlier. God had said, Paul, don't be afraid. Just as you have testified to me before kings here in Jerusalem, you will testify of me in Rome. God is guaranteed he will get to Rome. He told him that. So Paul knows he's going to get to Rome. Paul could have chosen to do nothing and said, you know what, this is in God's hands. God told me he's going to get me to Rome, so however he wants to get me there, that's up to him. I'll let him, I'll let him figure that out. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. He didn't choose to do that. He chose to use his mind, to use what he understood of God's revelation, to make a decision, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. He may or may not have gotten to Rome. Festus may or may not have agreed to this. He may have come up, he, he could have freed Paul. He could have said, Paul, that's fine. You appeal to Rome, but in the meantime, I'm done with, you're free. You're free to go. Walk out these doors a free man and, and be at the risk of all those who want to kill you here in Caesarea as well. There were no guarantees. But, but Paul did what seemed reasonable to him. And I just want to encourage you as Christians, and we have, a, we have an activist Christian faith. And when I say that, what I mean is, you know, God has called us to, to take his word, to take what we know of his word, to, 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 to glean from others. This is one of the wonderful things about being a church family. Huh? What I love about this church, among other things, is I love the variety of ages we have in this church. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? I'm, I'm glad that my grandchildren and my children grew up in a church where they have uh, people uh, older than me. Um, yeah, that's all relative now, you know, but, but, 
But, you know, that we have this multiple generations that we can draw from each other's experience and guidance and wisdom. And, and we can learn from and, and our young people to encourage us and, and remind us of that energy and that, uh, and that idealism that sometimes we, we lose track of as well. To put these together in the mix. And, and God has called us to learn from his word, to learn from our experience with him. Experience is not a bad thing. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit has guided us and been part of our lives. And hopefully our experience from the Holy Spirit is something God can use, guided by his word, guided by the wisdom of others, and put that together. And we make decisions. And we are activists. And and, and we come to a point where you have to decide. And it may not come out the way you you want it to, but you you make a decision the best you can. And, And Paul made the best decision he could make. He looked the situation over. He knew what was going on in Jerusalem. He knew what his rights as a citizen of Rome was. He knew that God had told him, you're going to get to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome and he wanted to go to Spain. And Paul says, no, nothing doing. I'm going to invoke my rights as a citizen. And Festus, I appeal to Caesar. And of course, for Festus' standpoint, this is great. He's off the hook. And he says, what? You've appealed to Caesar? What? To Caesar you go. He says, goodbye, you're going to Caesar. But he does have one slight problem. And that is, and we'll read about this, and we'll come back to this tonight, when he, he called, when King Agrippa and Bernice come, he meets with them because they're in charge of the temple. And he says, what are we, we going to write to Caesar? Why are we sending this man to Caesar, by the way? And you get the impression for the next two years, the Romans really don't know why they're holding Paul as prisoner. But he said, we have to have something to write down. So let's talk to him. And, and, and Agrippa, you help me. We'll figure out and we'll come up with something to write that the reason we're letting him go to Caesar and not just setting him free. Paul appeals to Caesar. Now, I want to come back to where we started this. At the end of chapter 24, he left Paul in prison. Two years. Festus comes on the scene. And the first thing he has to face is this man who has been left here in prison for two years. And I want to stop and ask you, talked about time today, talked about waiting and anticipation. We set our clocks and lost an hour last night. Time, time, time. I want to ask you a little bit to think with me for a minute. What good, what possible good Or what possible reason did God have for letting Paul languish in prison for two years? We have no epistles, really, from this time period that we could say, well, at least he wrote the book of Romans. Now it appears he wrote that earlier than this, before he, because he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He wrote Ephesians. No, he wrote that in Rome. We really don't know anything about it. Here was the apostle who was on charge. He says, I don't, not only do I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Spain. Think of the European map. I'm pointing west. Spain was the furthest, that was the end of the world. I mean, you know what they thought, you know. They had no idea of the new world, our world, our continent. That was the end of the world. That was, that was as far west as you could go. And Paul says, I don't, not only do I want to go to Rome, I want to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the furthest edges of our empire. 
And if he could do that, he probably would have come back and gone north and east back up into Asia if he could have. His goal, his commission was to take the message to who? The Gentile world. And he wanted to take it to its extremities. He had many, many miles to go before he slept. He had a lot of places to travel. He had a lot of churches. On. He wanted to go back and he says in Timothy, he, and he says of all the things, I, or in Corinthians, he says of all the things that I bear, the physical beatings and everything else, the thing that weighs on me the most is the churches and how they are doing. And here God leaves him in prison for two years, four years, because he goes from here to Rome and spends another two years in prison and put in the travel time and maybe four and a half years. And I ask you, this is the same man who we saw earlier in the book of Acts, where he went in Philippi and he was put in prison. And what happened? He wasn't even there 24 hours. And God freed him. There was an earthquake and, the, and, the, and everything shook and the chains were off and he was free. And when the apostle Peter went into prison, huh, earlier in Acts, what happened to Peter? He goes into prison and, and God releases him miraculously. He comes to the door. Remember the story with the Rhoda and the people there? And they don't even believe he's not, not even 24 hours. This is in the background. Why doesn't God shake this prison and let him go? What possible good did it accomplish at this point of the story? Having Paul languish in Caesarea for two years. Okay, now I know you're off time-wise today, so you need a little stir here. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Why don't you talk to somebody? There's people around you, okay? Even if you're sitting by yourself, you can slide over or, you know. Would you talk to somebody and, and suggest what possible good? What do you think? Can you think of one good thing that came out of maybe this prison? What do you think? Come up with any ideas? What do you think? Anything good could have come out of this? Two, at least two years in Caesarea. What do you think? Can you guys come up with something? Well, you're going to be in confirmation tonight. You better answer. It'd be easier to do it now than later. <laughs> Anybody? Nobody came up with anything? Tom? Evangelize the guards. Is it possible that in that two-year period that some people passed from death to life because they had a chance to hear Paul's testimony, that they saw the testimony of this man who still trusted in God even though his God didn't free him, if this God could raise Jesus from the dead, couldn't he free Paul? And yet to hear him, and later on when Paul talks about in Rome, in one of his epistles, and he talks about the fact that, that there were members of Caesar's household who have come to faith. When Paul was in prison in Rome for two years, members of Caesar's household came to Christ. Somebody passed from death to life, most likely. Good, Tom. Nick? Evangelize the other prisoners. Good, Nick. Paul is in prison with a lot of people who don't have much hope. Maybe some of these prisoners are on their way to execution. This was the main prison. This is where the serious criminals were kept as well. And maybe some of them came to Christ. Paul knew the story of Joseph. Was this maybe a reinforcement to Paul of how God takes time and there's always hope, and God's, God's best will be accomplished. He knew the story of Joseph, and this connection with his own people and his story brought hope.
Yes. Don't you think that he was also an example to other believers? Okay. There are thousands. Thank you, Doris. There are thousands. We've seen this. There are thousands of people who believe in Jesus Christ in Palestine. His fellow Jews. We've seen that. Would this be an encouragement? When, listen, friends. Once he leaves, he's never coming back. I don't think he ever went back to Palestine. He spent a lot. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who today still is considered Israel's number one teacher. And what an encouragement to other believers to have Paul there and be a part of their lives and they could come and go and he could teach them and help them and understand. Good. Anything else? Julio. Okay. Yep. Okay, good, Julio. This is God's time. And Paul is the one who writes about this. And, you know, a key, a key part of Paul's teaching is patience and depending on God. Read his epistles. You take encouragement from that, don't you? What's he write to the, he writes to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard, Roman guards, your heart and mind, encouragement. And while he may not have written epistles from there, is it possible that during this time that Paul is receiving revelation from God that becomes part of those prison epistles that we cherish and love so much, he hasn't written them yet. We don't know how Paul got all of his revelation. We know there was a time when he went into Arabia. He was alone, years. And is it possible that God was revealing continuing to reveal him new truth about this church, the body of Christ, this new humanity that he had called him to preach and to teach? Is it possible that, that, was, that, that, that those seeds were planted and he was thinking about those and God was revealing? So when he gets to Rome and then he writes those prison epistles, could the origins have been while he was there in Caesarea? Anything else? Yes, Carol. Okay. B and I talked about this. Maybe Paul needed to rest at the expense of the Roman government. <laughs> it didn't cost him anything. He didn't have to hire his own house like he did in Rome. Two years is a, in Caesarea. Two years is a long time to rest. But you know what? This man has been on a tear. He has been beaten. He has been stoned and left for dead. He, is, he has the back marks where he is whipped. He, should have not even, he shouldn't even be alive. He has gone through everything. And he has more to go through. Incidentally, as far as we know, he was finally executed by the Roman government. But maybe he needs to rest. Maybe you need to rest. Maybe sometimes when God hasn't answered what you have wanted him to answer, maybe you need to rest. And sometimes maybe you need and I need to learn that patience to rest. Anything else, Chris? Provide an opening for other leaders in the church. Okay. What happens when a leader like Paul is taken off the scene? Somebody else has to step up. Is this the time where Timothy... And Titus, 
and others maybe grew in their leadership and in and, and, and the work they did and carrying on what Paul had been training them to do. Think of all the things that could have taken place during these two years that Paul was in prison. Last Sunday night, I suggested to the group that was here Sunday night as we talked about this. It's supposed to be review for you, but look, look in your Bibles at Luke chapter 1. Go back to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, as Luke begins this story, and we believe that Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And in Luke chapter 1, he introduces it. And he's the only Gentile writer, by the way, of the, of the Bible that we know of. And he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly, orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke wasn't there. Luke writes that beautiful story that we use at Christmas time, right? Of Mary and the angel that came to her and the birth of Jesus. Luke wasn't there. Where did he get that story? Where this wonderful gospel, the gospel of Luke that is, that is so valuable. Luke wasn't at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon those Jews and they were speaking in tongues. Luke wasn't there when Saul was there at the stoning of Stephen. Luke wasn't there when Peter went to Cornelius' house. Where did he get all that information? Is it possible that during this two-year time where they are stuck in Caesarea and Luke is traveling with Paul and he's there the whole time with them because the we continues on this story, that is it possible during those two years that Luke had opportunity to go back to Jerusalem to, to talk to Mary, to talk to Nicodemus, to talk to Peter, if he was back in Jerusalem, to talk to the eyewitnesses, to talk to the apostles maybe who had been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Is it possible that this is when Luke gathered the information? He says, I've carefully investigated. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. And is it possible that during this two-year stuck in Caesarea, maybe we should call the sermon that, stuck in Caesarea with the Memphis Blues again. Stuck, <laughs> stuck in Caesarea. Listen, friends, one other thing. So we've come up with all sorts of things that could have happened in those two years that were good. And the last thing is this. The unknowns that Paul had no business even knowing or anybody else, but are only known to God. This is the same man who wrote to the Romans all things work together for good. All things. All things. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He's already written that to the Romans. And he's stuck in Caesarea waiting to get there. And we know this. 
everything that happened. While Paul was there for two years, was working out for God's good. And it didn't matter. And friends, I don't mean this to sound cold. I'm your pastor now, okay? You're waiting on something maybe right now. You're waiting. And you don't always have to know the answer. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters to you and it matters to me. And we're blessed, and we're blessed, aren't we, when God gives us the answer? Isn't it a blessing when you can look back, whatever you're going through right now, and listen, whatever age you are here, whatever age you are here, somebody else has already been through that. The young people, young families, singles, married, middle, older, whatever it is you're going through that you're waiting on God right now that's really important to you, somebody here has already been through that. And they can look back and they can say amen because they've seen how God has worked. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want it to work out. Some of that's going on right now and we're, we know that. But God knows. Two years in Caesarea and we have no idea what God was accomplishing Paul wanted to get to Rome. Paul made the best decisions possible. He uses his head. He activates his faith. He makes use of his Roman citizenship. He appeals to Rome, and he's finally leaving. And Festus says, you've appealed to Rome. To Rome, you get to go. It's a lot more of the story. But I just want to encourage you today, friends. What from this passage can you take home today? What is it on your mind right now? What do, you, what do you spend most of your day, what's going on in your life right now that, that takes most of your time and your thoughts and your prayers and your discussions? What is it in your life right now that if, you, if it was up to you and God said, I'll grant you one wish, and you said, please give me the answer to this, what is it? What's the one thing? I know there's one thing on your mind. And I want you to go home today with this word from the Lord. All things work together. Be patient. Be patient. God is at work. God is at work. Someone's been through this. God knows. And God knows full well how to take care of what belongs to him. No one's going to touch the Apostle Paul unless God decides. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord, now listen to this, will watch over 
you're coming and you're going. And your children's coming and your children's going. And your parents coming and your parents going. And your friends coming and your friends going. Both now and hahalom forevermore. Amen? Let's close our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, why you love us, why you've chosen us, called us to yourself, we don't know. But you have. And Lord, with our weaknesses and frailties, our worries, and the things that are on our heart today, and the things that each of us are waiting on, expecting, Lord, may you use that time of waiting for your good and for our good. Might we grow. Might we trust you more. It might we be willing to wait if it means someone else is coming to Christ. Somebody else is growing. Someone's life is changing. Lord, may we put ourselves last and you first. In our Savior's name, who indeed is the Jesus who is alive today, as Paul proclaimed, we say together, Amen.